Welcome to At The Gate, a show where we talk about and discuss topics that allow us to live and love more like Jesus each and every day. I am Pastor John. I'm Pastor Eric. And today we have a fun thing. We're going to be talking about questions that we've gotten uh, from different people that they want us to talk about. How exciting is that, that our congregation wants to be involved? And it's great because as shepherds, we need to know what people in the flock need, where they are. We had to have a um, a finger on the pulse, so to speak, and we're just so thankful that they're willing to do that. Yeah. So the first thing we're going to talk about, a couple of Christianese words uh, yeah. that we talk about often, but we also take for granted knowing the definition of them. So what is the difference between justification and sanctification? And then the follow-on question is, what is our responsibility in those areas? Let's start with justification. Sure. We'll, we'll both come... Um, it. It's a, a consistently challenging thing to to help people understand this because in your Bible you hear about salvation, and salvation can be used in both senses of justification or sanctification, and sometimes even glorification. So justification is actually that part of salvation that's a legal term. It is where God has us on trial for our sins, and we're all guilty. And Jesus steps forward. He takes the penalty for our sins. He says, I'm taking those upon me by my shed blood. And then God looks at us and declares us not guilty. Mm. Justification actually means in the Greek, not guilty. So we're no longer held responsible for those things. We are now in right standing with God. So it becomes uh, an, uh, a difficult concept for some of us to grasp sometimes because, okay, I'm not guilty, but I know that I'm consistently sinning. I know that I'm consistently failing. In, in a legal sense, all those failures are covered by the blood of Christ. So my standing before God is one who is holy. That allows us to say in places like Colossians where he says he sees us as holy, and that's because he sees us through the blood of Christ. And so we are in right standing with God. We are not guilty for our sins. Justification, sometimes the phrase, just as if I had never mm -hmm. sinned, because Jesus took the penalty. Yeah. So it's a, uh, it's a fantastic place to be and should be a, a basis on which we live our lives. We can be caught up in our sin. We can be stuck in our sin. But if instead we say, okay, that didn't work out well. I didn't do that. I repent. I'm sorry. But I'm not going to be paralyzed and held hostage because I'm not guilty. Um, there's a danger on the flip side of that too. Yeah. The, I'm not guilty, so therefore I can do whatever I want. And the Apostle Paul addresses that in Romans chapter 6. When he says, you're a slave to somebody, does it mean we should go on sinning? The answer is no, God forbid, we shouldn't do that. But we shouldn't be paralyzed by our sin either. So justification is a change in status. We're freed from the penalty of sin. We're no longer going to stand for God and say, I'm guilty. God's going to say, you are not guilty based on my son Jesus Christ and his blood. And Pastor Sean did a great job this week in yeah. his sermon talking about this very idea where we live in a world where, and I think he said it beautifully, Satan wants us to believe there's more than one way to get to heaven. Yes. The truth is it's a narrow gate. And that's what we're talking about here, this justification. When you choose to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you allow him to have that position in your life, that's what takes us from children of wrath and people who are doomed to hell because of our separation from God to being a part of his adopted family. Yeah, uh, and I am very grateful for our preaching team because uh, it was the week before that, Pastor Jason was talking about how 
our faith in Christ is both exclusive and inclusive, mm. which is two difficult terms to, to marry together. But it's inclusive in that anyone who receives is saved. Anyone who accepts Jesus' forgiveness is justified. But there's only one way to receive it, and that is Jesus Christ. And I think he referred to John 14, 6, where it says, Jesus said to uh, the sisters, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. So one way to come, but anybody can come, exclusive and inclusive at the same time. And Pastor Sean hit that beautifully, as you pointed out. Yeah, and we're going to continue to reference, this is a shameless plug time, we're going to continue to reference other pastors that are on staff here because sure. our preaching team is four people large, five people sometimes. Um, and if you're listening to this and you're not from Mountain View, you are 100% able to watch all of these sermons online on our YouTube channel. Um, you can go to mbccramona.org and you can follow those links to get to our YouTube channel. And we encourage you, uh, you know, this is a wonderful um, supplementary thing, but this definitely should never, this podcast should never take the place of, of um, you know, a Sunday's teaching and, and personal Bible study. But yeah, so when we reference those things, we're not trying to be in inclusive. You're, it's, it's out there. You can watch it too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I hope everybody grasps the idea that uh, we actually work as a preaching team. We're not separate preachers. We're, we're part of one team. So we sit down on a regular basis and say, what's the, what's the continuity of our messages going to be? What do we, as we studied it, we basically do our own Bible study mm. and come to conclusions and then take it into directions that hopefully take care of the needs of our people as God communicates his truths for those. So I like the continuity we have between our preaching staff. Yeah. Okay, so jumping back in, so we talked about justification, yeah. just as if I hadn't sinned, right. coded in the righteousness and imputed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ by his sacrifice for us. But that's not where we stop. It's just a start. It's just it's, a start. It's passing from, from death to life, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. So we have our justification, which establishes our position. So mm -hmm. it's our, our positional um, salvation, if you will, but then we have our progressive salvation. Yeah, and actually, before we jump into that, mm -hmm. I want just one more thing on justification. Sure. So we, keep, we talk about positional uh -huh. placement. Scripturally, we're told we're adopted into God's family. And I just want, I think it, there's some beautiful cultural context to what he's talking about there. And I, I think we'd be yeah. remiss not to talk about it. Yeah. And you're, and I assume you're thinking about the Roman context of adoption. Yes. What a fantastic thing that is because God used it. The scripture says at just the right time, God sent him to die for us. So mm -hmm. culturally it spoke to the people of the empire, of the Roman empire at the time, because very often you would uh, have an inheritance or you'd have position, and you ha would have your own children, but you could also adopt children. So emperors is saying, I want my successor not to be necessarily my, my biological son, but an adopted son who have identified often a nephew or another relative. The interesting thing about adopting somebody into your family is that you had the choice to, to bring them in, but you didn't have the choice to kick them back out again. You could disinherit a, a son or disown a son, a biological son, but you couldn't disown an adopted son. What a great picture that is for you and me. We are adopted mm -hmm. sons and daughters of God. God will brought us into his family, and it is sealed. It is taking care of that justification through adoption. Is something that we should never have to worry about. I'm going to lose God's approval to the degree that he will kick me out of his family. Yeah. 
So it, you're, you're right. It's a fantastic cultural moment. And that is the foundation in which we walk into sanctification mm-hmm. with. Because sanctification, as we're going to talk about, is a messy thing. It is a scary thing for a lot of people. And, um, you know, again, Pastor Sean, this Sunday, did such a wonderful job of, yeah. uh, you know, if you're sitting in here and you feel like you're not matching up to God's words, you feel like you're not matching up to what your calling is on your life, that's part of your sanctification, and we have to differentiate that from our justification because yeah. too often we have people who think, I'm too far gone, I've made too many mistakes, therefore I'm mm-hmm. no longer justified in Christ. But that's not true. Let's talk about sanctification. Sure. Um, sanctification is the process by which we are matching up our our character and our person with who we are in Christ. So when we're in Christ, I think we even mentioned previously Second Corinthians 5.17, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So our very nature has been transformed through that declared not guilty process. Now we recognize that the way we think, the way we live, is still caught up in habits of the old world and in our old personality that we call the flesh. And so now it's a process for the rest of our lives until we get to heaven to become like Jesus. We talk about living and loving like Jesus. We are all in the process of becoming like him through knowledge of the word, through accountability with others, through the leading of the Holy Spirit, uh, through the illumination or the understanding of Scripture that the Holy Spirit gives us, all set a, a standard and communicate God's desire for us to become more like Jesus. But it's a long, slow process with ups and downs that can be discouraging. We sh- but going back to justification, we should never feel like I've fallen below that bar. I'm always not guilty. I just am not more like Jesus at the moment. Yeah. So people, when we talk about sanctification, and I know for myself as a new believer, I thought sanctification meant it had to be a constant upward upward trajectory. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, so if you think of like a, a graph, right, you, you think of the, the tick mark keeps going up. But for me, every time I went up, it felt like that bottom line of justification moved up there with me. And if I fell below that, I fell below justification. But you know, if we think about it as a graph, the bottom line is not going to move. What Correct. Jesus has done for us is not going to move. And we're just constantly trying to get to a place of glorification, um, a, a place of being final and complete and made perfect. And But that's never going to happen. No, not here. This, not here. <laughs> not here. Um, so what is our responsibility as Christians then? Um, we should want to, and I think when we've been um, – touched by the Holy Spirit and you you understand your your place in Christ, there's a desire to continue moving up, but too many of us get discouraged when we start coming back down, mm-hmm. and Satan loves to grab that moment and try to keep us continuing down. Right, defeat us, yeah. if at all possible. Uh, and your picture of a graph is a beautiful picture. Uh, consider what we see in things like the stock market. There's ups and downs, but we see this upward trend. Mm -hmm. And that is probably a good picture of the Christian life for those that are set their minds on pursuing Christ. Understand that there will be down times. There's times of dryness. There's times when we don't feel like we've plateaued. And sometimes that happens, but often that plateau or even that decline is God's now chance to work in our lives. So we may have come off a high uh, maybe it was at a camp or a retreat, or maybe it was just an especially productive time of study. 
And then after that, you're saying, I'm, I'm just not where I was. I don't have that same passion and verve. Those things now need to work their way into us. So what, what I learn has to work its way to my heart. Yeah. And that's a process that has ups and downs to it. And my behaviors change. But if I set my mind on Christ, in other words, if I purpose to continually to follow him, then that upward trend will continue. It may have bumps and ups and downs. It may even have some large downs. But that doesn't mean the trend can't be upwards, and that's us becoming like Jesus. Yeah. It's interesting. You brought up an, a, a very feelings-based thing of when we come off of a high yeah. of, of accepting Jesus. Our sanctification is not tied to how we're feeling. Correct. Our sanctification mm-hmm. is really uh, kind of something we can't really discern in other people for sure, but sometimes not even in ourselves. Uh, so when I have people that are dipping, that, and that's that emotional fall that they have, if you look backwards at your life and you see um, just how much of God's word and God's truth has been poured into your life and how you act. So for myself, um, I've, I've struggled with anger for a mm-hmm. lot of my life, and uh, I still have times where I fail in that area. Um, but that's one of the things that Satan loves to get me on is just, you know, oh, I can't believe you acted like that. You, mm-hmm. you have become worse than when you started this whole thing. And in reality, it takes uh, godly men and women and, and prayer to look back and see that that is a lie. Correct. Uh, and, but when you, when you get to that point, your emotions and your feelings really play into Satan's strength there. Mm-hmm. It, that is so true for all of us. And it's just a, a kind of, a, unfortunately, a natural inclination. We can get 95 things right. I can preach a sermon and here comes people and they're they're thanking me and saying how God used the message for their life. And I'm so grateful that God's able to use that. Sometimes even with my very poor words, I walk out sometimes thinking, well, I can't get them all right, can I, God? Or I can't hit a home run every time or maybe even some of the time. But they come out thanking me because God's used it in their life. But if there's that one person that comes out and goes, you know, that that really wasn't a very good message. I, so I will stew on that message for the rest of the week mm-hmm. and focus on the failure rather than celebrating how God used it for victory in other people's lives. Uh, and that that's pretty self-centered. Yeah, That's about me and my need for approval rather than what was used for the kingdom of God. That can be a hard focus to grasp. And so that intentionality, the purpose, I, I, again, Colossians, set your mind on things above. Take God's perspective and put them into your life, not your own. So God looks down every time he sees one of his sons or daughters, just like any of us who have children. We, we focus on failures, and we're so concerned. But God says, no, you're on a path. You're still growing. You're still maturing. Yes, you had a down moment. Let's let's get back on the horse, so to speak, and move you up. So now we take that feeling and that emotion aside, which a uh, way easier said than done. Sure. And something that we constantly struggle with, especially as pastors, high-touch people. Um, if you're in a high-touch job, I'm sure you struggle with that too. Mm-hmm. Um, we just Let's start looking at the actions, because that's really what we're talking about with sanctification, the heart posture and the actions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of us look at Paul, the Apostle Paul, and um, where he started from and then where he got to. And as you're reading through Acts and you're, and you're looking at all the incredible things he does, there's not a ton of downward dips, which I think is part of the reason why we have this skewed view of sanctification. Mm-hmm. There may be more than we tend to perceive. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, uh, you remember Paul spends time in Corinth, and he's got the worst of the worst. Those poor people struggle with so many things, and he spends time with them, and he gets a church going, and then and then he moves on 
to Athens by himself for a little while. And while he's there, he goes to Mars Hill, and it's the place where all the philosophers meet. And I think the scripture says they love to do nothing but talk about the latest things every day. And Paul spends time wandering around and looking and listening and, and, and learning the culture. And then we see that presentation by him in Acts about the, the sermon to the unknown God, the worship of the unknown God. And he's trying to make a, a logical uh, case that there is an unknown God out there, and his name is Yahweh, and his son is Jesus. Um, and it says that in their response was fascinating because these same people who love to talk about all of the intellectual things and it's much like the conversations we had at two in the morning in college where we solved all the world's problems mm -hmm. but couldn't remember the next morning what we said. Um, and they, some of them said, yeah, we want to hear more. And, other, and it says a few believed, but others scoffed and said, this guy's, this guy's crazy. What we read about next is fascinating because he writes to the church and he says, I have resolved to know nothing but Christ and him crucified. It was maybe a great approach for Athens, for the Greek mindset, but he realized that the power of the gospel comes through the person of Christ. So that's a way of looking and saying, here was a place where he, he may have been discouraged because he didn't get many results. The number of times he was had to leave cities and shake the dust off his feet because they wouldn't respond, those are all discouraging times. But the response was, all right, we'll go somewhere else yeah. and we'll present the gospel again. So staying heavenly focused, uh, purpose to say, I'm going to look at this with God's perspective. Was I a failure for not making a lot of converts here? And the answer is no. The gospel was shared. That's success yeah. rather than basing on how other people acted. What did God want? He wants us to share the gospel. Share it. it you're a winner every time that you share the gospel. Yep. And we see that that improvement in Paul's life, and we were able to follow him, follow him from being Saul into being Paul and all of his um, adventures and uh, failures and successes. Yeah. And I think the encouragement for me, as we talked about sanctification, has always been Peter. Yeah. Because Peter is the shining example of how I feel most of the time. You have a man who... Um, you know, gets called a cornerstone, who gets called out to be the shepherd by Jesus, who's forgiven by Jesus even after he denies him three times. But as you read through the New Testament, we see Peter fail time and time again. Yeah, uh, We see him get called out by name by Paul yeah. uh, for falling into his old ways as opposed to being a renewed believer. Yeah. Um, and yet sometimes we don't allow that to speak to us as Christians today. Mm-hmm. In a couple of ways, uh, that as believers, uh, sometimes we we engage in what I tend to think of as false unity, that, that unity is somehow not having disagreements. Unity is everybody's happy and smiling all the time, and that's why a lot of people come into church and go, you guys are a bunch of hypocrites, because I know you outside of church, and you're not always smiling all the time. You're not always acting the best all the time, instead of saying... You know, we have up times and we have down times. And as, as your brother in Christ, uh, I count on you to bring the truth to my life and say, Eric, you weren't very nice with that person. Instead of saying, oh, it's okay. God's grace covers it all. And I'm, you can just go, go on the same path. Can't, I can't allow that. Yeah. If I'm going to be more like Jesus, you've got to help me to see where I'm not being like Jesus and vice versa. So... Being able to come back and lift one another up is incredibly important, and then to be restored. The, the flip side of that coin is when somebody has 
a, a failure, uh, a bad time, maybe even a whole series of bad uh, decisions, sin, that when they do repent, when they do seek to be reconciled and to restore relationship, too often we as Christians are so judgmental that we won't allow them to, to be restored. You've hurt me too many times, and I find that we, we preach that all too often. It becomes an excuse not to do the work of restoring a relationship. There are certainly people in our lives that the world calls toxic, that probably not good to have in our lives, but that's a very small percentage. Overall, Jesus said over and over again, you remember the disciples, we, should we forgive up to seven times? What a great cultural moment that is, because <laughs> they're saying, look how great we are. We'll forgive somebody seven times, the number of God, the perfect number. And Jesus' response is, no, not seven times, 70 times seven, yeah. which is his way of engaging in, in exaggeration, hyperbole, to say forgiveness is never-ending. Forgiveness and restoration is something we should always point towards rather than saying, I'm done with you and I will never talk to you again. We can at least begin to have a relationship at some degree that hopefully we restore trust and it grows. That should be our goal because that's God's goal. Second Timothy 3.16? Yes, says or all scripture is given by inspiration of God it's God breathed it's useful for teaching rebuking correcting in training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God the person of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work so the word of God is our our baseline for truth yeah. um, that can be uh, challenging because there's there's this interaction other believers in my life the Holy Spirit in my life my prayer life with God, and the Word of God. Of all of those, um, I can I can potentially twist any each and every one of those. Sometimes I've caught myself praying and realizing that's not really what God was saying. That's what you wanted Him to say. <laughs> I will argue with other believers and try and win the doctrinal battle so yeah. that they come around to my way of thinking. Um, but the Word of God stands for itself. Now I can try and twist the interpretation. But that's much more difficult. The Word of God is our objective measure of truth. So we use it as a foundation for setting the truth. I am saved. I am sanctified. I am not guilty. The Word of God doesn't change on that. It proclaims it as an absolute truth. And that should give me, a, a, again, that baseline of confidence. And it should give us a baseline of confidence, going all the way back to what we were talking about with Peter, being able to be spoken into, into your life has mm -hmm. to come from a place of trusting and acknowledging the Word of God and mm -hmm. the truth that it needs to hold. Uh, we tell people all the time, if, if there's a sin issue in our life, come and tell us. The way we do our elders and our deacons, if there's a sin issue that can be pointed out in Scripture, it's not a preference, it's not a legalism thing, it's a, a mm -hmm. Word of God thing. But too often we have people who refuse to be admonished or rebuked, um, and it's not by preference, it's by the Word of God. So that's why, if that felt like it came out of nowhere, that's it's so important. Yeah, and and when yeah. we talk about the process of sanctification, you talk about growing closer with God. How are you going to do that apart mm -hmm. from His Word, or mm -hmm. by disrespecting His Word to the point of saying, "Well, that part doesn't apply to me," yeah, or that part uh, isn't true here. Um, so that's I, th I when, think when you brought up Second Timothy three sixteen, there's the four elements. There's there's teaching. So continue to learn, continue to become like Christ, but there's also rebuking you're in sin. You need to repent. You need to change because you can't be following Christ and engaged in sin at the same time. It has to be one or the other. Uh, correcting means you're on the right path, but but you're a, little, you're a little off course. Let's get you back on course. And then, of course, training in righteousness is the whole concept. 
of um, being uh, becoming like Christ through our practice of life, yeah. not just what we learned in teaching, but training is engaging in those things. Yeah. Well, if there's one thing I've learned today, Eric, it's that we probably can't do more than one question per episode because we, we like to talk to each other. <laughs> but we talked about justification, the idea that once you accept Jesus Christ, his sacrifice is sufficient, right? One died for all, mm-hmm. um, just as if we hadn't sinned. That's our position in Christ. That's yours and my position in Christ because we've accepted him. We're on a process of sanctification where we're trying mm-hmm. to become more and more like Jesus, live and love like him. Yep. Um, and we have a few minutes left, so let's just touch our toes into the final stage that we've already mentioned, glorification. Glorification. So if justification is being freed from the, the penalty of sin, and sanctification is the progress to be freed from the power of sin, glorification is when we stand before God, we're told we're transformed in the twinkling of an eye, we're made perfect in Christ, we are actually freed from the, the very presence of sin, mm-hmm. because now we are perfected. And I just look forward to not having to deal with internal thoughts and struggles and temptations, but we bring God glory because we are made by him to be like him. And it's an exciting thing to reach that stage of spiritual purity, but that's only when we stand before him, whether it's through him bringing us home, through a transition out of this life, or uh, when he comes and, and takes his church home to himself, that's when it'll happen. Yeah. So the encouragement there, we talked about the bottom line, you can't go below justification, but there's also an encouragement, um, not that we should ever stop striving to become as close to Jesus as possible, but we will not reach glorification in this life, right? And Paul talks about how we need to strenuously contend in this life um, with the power that God works in us to continue to mature up other people. But I think that also applies for I mean, you can't mature other people if you yourself are not trying to mature yourself. Um, So it's this strenuous contention that we have to try and move ourselves up towards glorification, but with an understanding and a grace, the same grace God gives us, that we will not attain it in this life. Right. So don't be discouraged if you're not perfect. Yeah. (laughs) Don't don't be discouraged to the point where you think you've lost it all, but don't be discouraged and stop saying, well, I can't get there. I'm never going to be perfect, so why am I bothering to try? You're trying because... All along the way, you're bringing God glory, you're becoming like Jesus, there's peace to be found there, and there's encouragement to be found. Mm. So don't stop trying. Yeah. Well, we hope that this has been a blessing to you. Um, We look forward to doing more episodes where we're taking Mm -hmm. questions, um, more episodes where we dive into different theology things that tickle our fancy. Um, But God bless you, and we'll see you guys next time. God bless. The Lord bless you and keep you.